0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Channel Business Podcast with Hanne. Channel Business Podcast is all about sharing ideas, insights, and valuable tips from leaders around the world who have been rising through the struggles to where they are now.
1: I think you have to be like hyper aware of building a diverse team, um, uh-huh. Like it, it doesn't fall together um you know you have to work at it and the reason i say that is because after we were purchased by ebay at that time i had um a rather diverse team but theirs were not and they were trying to combine these teams um and it was really really challenging and i I started to see my teams evolve into um very limited thinking to be honest Uh, okay so it kind of went backwards went backwards
0: the podcast episodes will teach you about different things what you can take in your daily life as a leader to take things forward from one step to another we will talk about all facets of life what are the essential steps for you to take the business forward i'm your channel business podcast host Hanne Norden, a global business influencer, taking you to this growth ride of Channel Business episodes. With all my heart, I want to welcome you to this episode and to the growth ride of today of Channel Business podcast. Our guest today is very, very special woman from California area. She's Jill. Speckman, who I had a pleasure to meet some time ago, and Jill has a very interesting background. She's a successful business leader with experience building top-notch teams, establishing scalable business practices and global expansion within them. She has lent her know-how to companies in all stages, from startups to acquisitions and turnarounds. Jill has unparalleled experience teaching customers how to scale, set the KPIs and budget forecast. Over 200 top brands have trusted Jill's advice. Some to name are Bath & Beyond, Tractor Supply, Spirit Halloween and Aloe Yoga, just to name a few to you. Jill continues to play an advisory role to internet retailers. Jill has joined the startup Affiliate Traction where she focused on multiple department sales, publisher partners, marketing and customer support in 2009. In 2015, eBay Enterprise purchased at Affiliate tra- Traction and launched peppercham where Jill found herself leading global customer success teams. The story continues with different kind of roles with the customer success teams and playing around with different kind of companies here and there. But today, I really, really want to welcome you, Jill, to talk about this, how to build successful teams and what does customer support experience really is and what the stories are there behind. So Jill Speckman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Hane, I'm so excited to be here today um, and share a little bit about my experience and connect with, with you and hopefully with your audience as well.
0: Oh, I'm sure that uh, we all will have a splendid time here and, and I'm so happy to have you and hear your experiences, what it really takes and what is essential when we are channeling business forward. and. and the team building, I think it's so important. And the customer success is, is, is truly the thing how the businesses can go forward. So, why don't we start a little bit deeper on your background? Who is Jill Perfect. Speckman? <laughs> Wonderful. And what line. do you do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. Um, I don't think I can, I can share as much as you shared about myself. But um, yeah, I've spent the last 15 years uh, building cross functional customer focused teams. Um, the the evolution of customer success has changed in the last 15 years. Customer success is actually a relatively new term. It was called account management, support, all kinds of other things in the past. And uh, today, customer success seems to resonate with, with most people. Um, and it's, uh, it takes on different areas, which we can talk about um. in our our conversation today it's not just success it's support it's experience it's it's kind of everything and um my background has been customer focused but building the right teams so that the customer gets the experience that they need but also the teams get the experience that they need um you know my my retention my staff retention those those two things i think run in parallel when you look at customers and staff if you have happy teams that are diverse and work uh-huh. well together, you end up with happy customers. They, they mirror each other in my experience. So hiring the right people with the right aptitudes into each of the roles in the team is, is probably the most important thing to start. But um, I digress a little bit about myself. Yeah, um, where,
0: where do you come from? What, what is your background? I know there are the little bits and pieces, you know, that takes you to, to Silicon Valley. They take you to Italy. They take you to be... In global environment and in yeah. United States, there's I think there's so so much
1: that you can I've share been, with us. Yes, totally. I I've been lucky. I, I'm born in the Bay Area, actually in Santa Cruz, California, which is uh, just south of San Francisco, um, home to many startups. Mm-hmm. Um, I built my career around. I love going into small companies and exploring the opportunity. Um, but I grew up in Santa Cruz. Um, I actually went to a private Hindu school um, and uh, a story. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. Um, it was actually a boarding school where we had an exchange program with um, a group in Sri Lanka. So uh-huh. I think that that was a really uh, wonderful way to be balanced and look at the world through a different lens um, that might not otherwise be seen, especially in the Bay area in California and in the U S Um, There I studied art. I actually went to Italy to study art. I have always been fascinated by art. I started off with gouache as a young child and moved up to oil paintings. Um, Both of my parents are artists um, and they're very different uh, which I love about them and I think that that's been just a wonderful thing to bring into my life and fold into my experiences. and actually, little known fact: um, I uh, I painted uh, pet portraits, oil pet portraits, um, okay. throughout college to pay for my tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! Yeah, and I did have the help of um, of family. But since my father is a photographer, my my mother they actually met at Brooks Institute. My mother's a photographer; both are painters. Um, but they supported me, and um, they actually didn't help me go. Through college at all, I did it all on my own through painting. So um, that is that is amazing. Uh, what we know here
0: in Europe and and Asian part of the world is that the school, the education, is really expensive in the United States. So
1: yes, and you know what was interesting is it struck accorded me this entrepreneurial thing where I I realized at a young age, if I build a small business, I can make. Things happen but you know how do you do that and what's the first step and how do you build and it's such a young age mm-hmm absolutely and it was interesting because I thought I was actually gonna go into government um, uh-huh. in college and I had interns um, actually with SETI Institute which at the time was part of NASA um, and also the CIA and um, oh wow
0: yes That's different
1: and- very different, and it was funny because I felt like my brain was conflicted between art and creativity and owning and building something and having that flexibility and that drive versus compartmentalized and oh, yeah. um, and I think actually I, what has been wonderful with startups over the years is bridging the two um, compartmentalizing and processing things with creativity, and I think that that kind of crossover has really lent itself to to building certain skills and assets that have brought me to my success today oh it
0: must be and and that is very unique experience so uh, I haven't heard from many people who are able to do combine
1: those kind of things and have have even the knowledge there's many times though it's interesting where I'm like man I kind of wish I had taken a more simple approach (laughs) Uh, well, here we go, and and that that really is part of a
0: story, and it's it's part of your your skill set and your personality. So that that obviously thrives you forward. But but tell us a little bit. What are you committed to and inspired to create in your life? That's a great question.
1: Um, Besides have- the, the art and and <laughs> the structural life, you know, I love people. I am a people person. Um, and I think connecting people is, is essential. It's important. And connecting people from different paths. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, breaking out of circles and bringing people together that might not otherwise um, work together or rely on each other, that inspires me. That makes me really happy. Um, as much as I love people, I probably love my dogs more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that also is, uh, is it, is it, they're human best, human's best
0: friends. So it exactly. goes a line. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I think everyone has something to offer and something that inspires me is, is trying to understand, um, how I can help other people, but how they can help me. Um, you know, and when you, when you work with diverse, teams, age, gender, religion, all of that, mm-hmm. you, everyone has something to lend to the conversation, um, yeah. and, and I think that's what, what drives me, um, and I think that's why, um, my teams are, have been so successful and positive and, very low human churn you know i mean because people discover things about other people that i can't facilitate it creates this snowball effect right if you bring the right people together and it echoes out it's like a ripple um it just starts growing and going forward by itself yeah and i love that um to me that's that's uh it's fun to watch and i've seen it like i have some folks that have worked with me for 10 plus years and to see them evolve as, as as people and the paths they go down and um, and it, it's just, it's really cool. And they become experts at what they do. And that's really cool. You know, they're, they're able to be better at anything that they do than I could ever do, right? And so then I, I'm learning from them and, you know, it's um, like you put somebody into a support role, which is typically seen as, oh, like that's a entry level, right? You're just taking yeah. and receiving customer questions or things like that. But that's but
0: they- really valuable, you know, in, in terms of growing the business and, and, and taking
1: it forward. You know, it is. It's one, and they become the ears, right? And they yeah. are this, this collection of, well, why are the customers asking? Did we not build the product correctly? Mm-hmm. Um, did the interface not work? Uh, did we not proactively engage with them? And you know, these support roles are a huge foundation, but it's also a great stepping off point for a lot of uh, folks wanting to get in to a startup or Mm. to a new industry. Um, so primarily my background was e-commerce, um, performance marketing, affiliate marketing, um, and hiring into that role. There's, there's so much in that market. Why didn't somebody buy? Why didn't the sale work? You know, like, Mm -hmm. why isn't revenue up? What's our profit margin? And these, these folks, it's a really good, like launching pad. Right. And what I found is that some of them become specialists at that and they become so in tune because they're focused on that one thing to pull information from customers and distribute it with the customer success team. And then what we can do is echo it into our company, into our best. Oh, practice, wow. How oh, we wow. Work. But it's, it's being receptive and it takes a certain person to, to be receptive. And then on the flip side, you know, when you're looking at hiring or building into the success side, which is more proactive, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's a different skill set. And these people are hunting for the information or they're packaging things up to put in front of the customer so they have a good experience, right? Yeah. And you have to work together, but they're extremely different. And that's where even outside of the type of folks that you hire, the the innate traits of how they work together have to layer differently because you can't have everyone do the same thing. And then what you find is they start to balance each other out. It also creates really cool career opportunity where you might start someone in support and they realize they're actually really good at being that proactive role and kind so, of owning so you
0: change the people by oh, the way like they it. act and and how they feel comfortable and, and skilled
1: with the things totally they should be able to evolve within a team and I think of course that helps um, also it helps the, the customer like if there's you know, you have to be careful about having too many common names, right? Because then they'll only Mm -hmm. want to work with one person and then they limit themselves from exposure to other different opportunities. Um, but in an agency, the life, most agencies, I think make the mistake of assigning a one-to-one, you know, customer Mm -hmm. with a, a customer success person. And in my experience, um, having a point person from customer success is great for a customer because they have one person to go to but mm-hmm. layering people behind them allows you to scale but also allows opportunity for your team to tap into customer experiences and and that's actually right great with the customer and the customer gets more out of it too so of the- course because
0: we are different kind of persons and we come from different backgrounds and different understanding and different experiences and i might go really well with you but with someone else i may have these conflicts that we don't understand each other, we don't speak the same language. So, exactly. so it even, is important to have the, the right people at the right place and have the we, variety we, of the people.
1: I 100%, you know, it's interesting when I look at all the brands that we've worked with, because um, mm-hmm. my portfolio was 400 million. Um, you you have such
0: an amazing background in that sense. You've worked with the, these top brands in US, which some of them are very international.
1: Yeah, um, Cartier would be a really good European. Um, we worked yeah. with their French team for a long time. Um, and, and that's the other thing, with the, when you start building these teams you, and you're going global as an agency, mm-hmm. you need to keep your, your company culture and replicate the process elsewhere, but not be unaccepting of their culture. That's really hard. How, to, to how do you do that? How do you do that? it's you know so so it's different country by country so my my, yeah most of my experience was north america so canada uh i lived in toronto for a while Uh um the us also australia um we had an office in sydney um and then we had an office in london i didn't move to london um
0: but you work with the people so you have basically the whole world covered and and each area the difference is is, different it's huge
1: yeah. You know, what's interesting is it's easy to, to create a cross-functional team globally, I think, mm-hmm. because you're hiring people based on their innate skills. Like who is your brain? Who is your, your yeah. essence, right? For yeah. a role, you're giving them flexibility to grow into other roles within that team. But it's really easy if you start. So once we went into Toronto, for example, um, Pulling um, partners from the US to the Toronto team and having people match up and cross-represent accounts. That was really important because it kept our process intact. I'm a very process-driven, those buckets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <From> the <government. laughs> but um, they, they must be, yeah. They but it was perfect. So they were doing the same things. They were thinking independently, but they were dependents on each other. And and if you kind of take that recipe. You can then fold it into Australia, into Europe, like, and it translates very well. So for example, we had Skechers Shoes as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, We, they're in Manhattan, California, and we started here and we started working with them in 2009. And by the time it was 2016, they had, we were working with their German team um, and we out of our London office. Um, we were also working with their BC team out of our Toronto office uh-huh. and they were moving into Australia. And so it was really cool to, we, we went through it together and, and it was new for the brand as well, um, to launch, you know, and, and rely on us with feet on the ground and they had offices there too. And it was kind of fun to see the adoption of like, how do you coordinate if it's summer in Australia yeah. and it's winter in Berlin? You know it's you 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 have to approach the market differently and of and it was course. interesting to see our brands uh navigate that and and leverage us um but also how the brands leveraged our team dynamics so they would start to copy similar ways of of working and um and it worked really really well um for most of the brands now the challenge i i ran into and this is this actually yeah. helped our brands is we didn 't have a lot of employee churn, um, affiliate traction, eBay pepper jam partnerize very very little. My average uh, customer success person was four plus years, um, which and
0: is that 's kind of a long time in nowadays if you 're there mm-hmm. around five years or more
1: yeah so it was it was but what was hard is uh, we would there was a period it was probably around two thousand and eleven to two thousand and thirteen where most of the brands, they, we would have a new person. They were losing people every six okay. months. And this is when like analytics were coming out and people were trying to say, you know, search sent this, you know, blog sent this and give credit. Yeah. And, and, and it got very dicey. And a lot of um, e-commerce specialists had a hard time going to brands because everything was cut, cut, cut instead yeah. of grow and invest. And so they would just leave, you know, right and left. So what happened was our customer success teams actually kind of became the trainers into the e-commerce for the e-commerce uh employees. So so some of go to Skechers. they didn't know, you know, so we would start writing up in our CRM best practices, like, oh, you need to go get your photos, you go to this person or this department. Like we would actually like bring these these people into these brands and tell them how to work. Um in a positive like we were big navigate their own company, you know? Um And that created a very sticky relationship between the customer success, um, and those brands. And at that time we actually had month to month contracts until month to month, 2016 is when we started actually, um, at that point we were pepper jam and we started doing annual contracts prior to that any day, someone could give you a 30 day notice. That's it. Um, and at the Ah. time, oh my gosh, (laughs) that's terrifying. It's really hard. It's really challenging. But you know, our retention was over 90% um, that's and it was huge. huge. Yeah. And it that, was, that's incredible. It was un, unbelievable. And, and, and because of that retention, we, even though we didn't have a predictable contract, we had predictable revenue. Yeah. So and I that's knew, what
0: I really matters to your company that the money keeps coming in and the customers are buying you you are having their both size, happy the staff, but also the customers, right?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It was a unique period for sure. And, and um, I look back to those teams because they were like family. I mean, it, it turned into this like really just wonderful, wonderful group. I still hear from the folks on the East coast. Uh-huh. Um, I still talk to the, to the folks in Canada. Actually, I got a text the other day, one of my buddies up there, um, he's in Windsor, Ontario. Yeah. He, uh, you know, just got a new puppy and it's, it's like, oh, like I haven't worked with him in like how many years. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it, it feels good. And it's that bringing different people together based on
0: who they are and training them on as a person and, and then the talent or the the skills coming on top of that. Right. Is, exactly. is that the way how you build the diverse teams and the successful high performing teams?
1: Yes, I think you. It sounds silly, but I think you have to be like hyper aware of building a diverse team. Uh-huh. Um, like it, it doesn't fall together. Um, you know, you have to work at it. And the reason I say that is because, after we were purchased by eBay, at that time I had um, a rather diverse team, but theirs were not, and they were trying to combine these teams. Um, okay. And it was really, really challenging. And I, I started to see my teams evolve into um, very limited thinking, to be honest. Uh, okay, so it kind of went, went backwards. Went backwards. And, because and the customer was not yeah, in that
0: same step. They were a little it, lucky behind.
1: I think it was because uh, when we were acquired, the teams we were being folded into didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have it on the forefront. Like every time you hire someone and you look at someone, you, you look at finding someone that's different from who you have always, right? Like, how can I bring someone in that has the innate skills, the personality and the energy, but like, like find the differences and, and actually like be attracted to that because you don't want the same people over and over. Um, you want it because it doesn't evolve. It doesn't evolve. You yeah. have to have, a, you have to have a challenge. You have to have, you know, we respond to pressure, right? It's like mm-hmm. working out, like it hurts and it's horrible, but you grow, your muscles become stronger. They become more flexible, more adapt, faster, yeah. whatever you're training for by challenging. And, and I think the challenge then when we were acquired is this other company didn't think about it. They didn't care. And we were immediately sold from eBay and turned into another company. I mean, it was quite the journey. Um, but that following company didn't, they did not care. Um, it was, it was, they acknowledged
0: that, but they didn't pay attention because they didn't think that it was important. And so it's it's the lesson over there for the listeners that you really need to pay attention to that, to have a high performing team, which is diverse in order for you to succeed
1: as a what, company and and your services and products, one hundred percent. What their strategy was was always hire through referrals, hire friends of friends, family of family, you, oh. you, and what they and I under I actually love that idea because it is,
0: it is I I think it's good if you if you have the talents. But what about if you don't find the
1: people there? Well, that's that, and then you start the bar starts shifting or it becomes status quo and you have everyone that thinks the same. um, And that does not grow. There's no pressure. There's no growth. You need somebody to throw a wrench in there. Yeah. You you, you need
0: disruption in a way from some points or, or from many different angles.
1: So what I, what I did was I saw that I saw that, and there were like, um, you know, we'll give someone a thousand dollars if they bring someone in when we were hiring. So Mm -hmm. they were incentivizing that, but I started to see my team not growing, um, the way I I was expecting. So we kept that incentive program, bring a friend, you know, recruit Mm -hmm. people, you know, but I started doing, um, I changed my interview process. Okay. um, and what I did is I broke everything down into uh, innate traits, like personality, okay, things okay. that anyone can learn, and I, I templated it. I use this template yeah. today. Yeah. And um, skills that I, I absolutely have to have for that role, you know, depending on. Yeah, what yeah, it is.
0: that's where you start, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, with the team. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I would do, I did all my own screening. I didn't like to use the recruiters at all. Okay. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it myself. And that's
0: what the startups usually do. They they don't have the money or the resources otherwise. And, and even the small and medium-sized companies, maybe they don't use that. Mm -hmm. So so this is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think recruiters, I, I, you know, I love, uh, they have to be aggressive. They're really good, but they have to be an extension of you if it's going to work. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so when I screened somebody and I went through my questions and I would rule things out, um, one of my screening questions is how important is a diverse company to you? And that Mm. surprisingly ruled people out, um, even in, in the Bay area at that time. Um, and what I found though, is some people grabbed onto that. Um, even if I were to look at them on paper and say they didn't, they were not maybe diverse enough for, for my team, Uh but if they had the thought, I said, that's if they, if they liked that question, you could see people lighten up and it was really special to me. So that would move them forward. And then what I always would do is, um, I would pick across from the different groups in my customer success team. Um, and so it'd be support, success, experience, and I Uh would have them do back before covid an in-person panel, and um, so
0: you you leverage the the team that you have already to have their opinion. Will this person fit into
1: our team and and bring value? Add value there exactly. But I switched the way a panel works, and this I think was what really helped. My team was not allowed to ask the questions. Mm. They were there to be interviewed by the person applying. Oh, that's so, a new perspective. And it was, it was great because I, and I encouraged, I would coach the person that was interviewing, like you're going into a panel, but it's, it's not a standard panel. I want you to think about the environment, the culture here. Does it fit? Can you add value? And I want you to ask them, what do they love and hate about their days? yeah Like, what do they not like about management? And I want you to get the good, the bad and just see. And then what, after that, panel, I'd have them come back and tell me where will you change things and where, will and you how would change. you see? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it took a while to, to get it right. Because once I started hiring those people on, they would then become part of that panel and they knew the experience. So when other people came in, they were looking for people that would challenge because that's how they thought. Yes. And it created that wonderful, um, that wonderful, like counter thinking that I needed in a group because agency month to month contracts, like you have to be ahead of every other agency and
0: yeah, what else
1: yeah. is out there and be competitive. And that gave us that edge. So, so that really
0: <laughs> answers to the question, why is it so significant to have a diversity in the team, but, and, and the different skills and talents and personas in order for it to evaluate and, and go forward. What about this, uh, does the team, or does it need to have a leader? a great question
1: um so i i would go back and forth yes and no on that (laughs) (laughs) that's um if that's a loaded question for sure i i do think that every team should have a leader but i think that leader should service the team so um i think structure keeping things in best practice making sure that the team is happy there needs to be an escalation point um, so I always did the standard uh, hiring flow. So whether I was a managing director or a senior director, or whatever, I'd have a director under me uh-huh. or a leader, a manager, depending on. Like Canada took a little while to grow, so they didn't have a director immediately. You know, same for Australia. But so that was you
0: first, and then after a while, you had a person there to take care of that. Yep. Yeah. And
1: I mean, I've always thought I follow that path of thinking of like always hire to replace yourself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and your team, that's should a good advice. Them. That's a good advice. Yeah. And I think that, and if you t- openly say that to your team, then they naturally want to bring people and support people that are better than them. And mm-hmm. you get away from that whole thing of saving your own butt. <laughs> so a lot of agencies do or trying to take credit. Um, which I think is a big issue with a lot of agencies like standing up and for, I did that and I did that because they're always trying to get, climb that ladder. Yeah. And I think the problem with the leader is you create that ladder, but you have to have some sort of support infrastructure. You need, if someone's having a hard time or they're not getting it, they need an escalation point point. it needs to be clear. Um, but I don't think a leader should, should lead. I think a leader should support, um, more than anything. And that's a gem. Yeah. I also think um, a leader should never take credit, ever. It, um,
0: so you're saying that it should be the team's effort, totally, not by any person because everybody contributed something in order for it, it to never, happen.
1: Exactly. It's never one person. It's all, yeah. If you have a diverse team with with functional areas, meaning this, this group does this type of activity and, yeah. and this one does this activity, um, that means there's multiple contributors. So yes. there isn't one person. So as a leader, you are only as good as the rest of your team and who, at what point did that? So, um, I think a leader should support, but mm-hmm. they should give credit. And that is how you, you grow a team that said, there's always going to be those mishires. It happens, right? Yeah. And so, uh, I- so
0: how how do you like get this dysfunctionality and, and these uh, conflicts that happen? Of course, because... You might think I- I'm the right person and I might think so, but then after a while we say, okay, this is not my path or I don't really fit into that role or it doesn't serve my goals or whatever. So h- how do you break that down and, and, and make it functionable
1: again? I, I cut it off the second I smell it. I, okay. I'm not, um, this might sound harsh, but I've done the PIP approach where you have 30, 60, 90 days to adjust behavior, mm-hmm. but if there was a miss on the front end it's now exposed to the rest of the team and you don't want cancer in the team mm-hmm. and it's now exposed to the customer because like we talked about earlier the two are mirrors of each other essentially yeah um the second i smell that it's not right um i trust i always listen to my team always cuz they're they're probably more in tune than i could ever be but i take that into consideration and if i see something that it could just be someone that's constantly negative. That's it. Mm-hmm. They're great in every other way. Maybe they're even great with the customers. I've had that. I, but I, within I, the team it just doesn't function well. No. And it's, um, I think it's a mistake to drag things along and think that you can fix, um, certain things, mm-hmm. uh, because while you're trying to do that, you are tearing apart the threads that you've used to sew right. and stitch that group together and i would much rather walk someone out without i wouldn't even take a two-week notice i just exit them quickly um and cut it out because at the end of the day what i learned is some people were if, if you let them st- those people sit too long mm-hmm. they they bring other people into their fold yeah and and, and then, then it starts get, growing yeah and, and then when you do finally let them go now you have other negative points in their own inertia's so right. if, you, if you immediately take it and that hasn't spread to other people, there's almost like an exhale, like, oh, okay, it's yeah. gone. And then there's almost this weird, we gotta rally together and find uh-huh. a new solution. And people step up that you wouldn't expect to step up and people get right back into that interview headspace and let's bring the team together and actually mm-hmm. we'll create a stronger team. Um, and so, so, that, so
0: that's a good lesson. To, to immediately interfere with the situation and just do what, what's best. And, and those kind of people who don't fit, just take them away.
1: I've never, to this day, I've never regretted anyone that I've let go. Um, well, that tells it, something. Yeah. And it's also never, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, right? If you do, the, if you pick the right people, hopefully, and leverage a team to help you. Yeah. Um, but because everyone contributes and, you know, we, sometimes you miss it. Um, of course day. And, and, you know, what's interesting is, um, some of the folks that we've walked out, they actually, most of them end up in a better place. It just wasn't the right fit. You exactly.
0: Know? Yeah. So it's good for each party. Yeah. It's, it serves that. Mm-hmm. So, um, talking about the, the workers and the leaders, if we'd call those terms, uh, is there a difference when you are building a global team or, or a global team of leaders who
1: run and, and lead some parts? Yes. Um, I think that's, it's a challenge, uh, first of all, to, to plant leaders. I'm, I'm all about bring up from the bottom up, but you don't always have mm. that option. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't, don't can't pipeline from within. So if you don't have that option, which in a global scenario, you usually don't, mm-hmm. um, in my experience, like you're usually starting small. So in Canada, you have one customer success person that does both support yeah. and success and experience yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, totally. And you might you might if you can have someone that you think is going to be your leader go in, but do that role. Yeah, and and don't hire under them if you can afford it. And so what we would do is we would have the U.S. team, which was at that point scaled and built out. There were multiple teams in the U.S. Mm-hmm. multiple directors. Uh, we'd have them just take the, the international customers, take the pressure off. That way you can hire somebody who you think will be a leader, but have them do the work, have them get their hands in there and they have the support of a team so they can see how that team works and they can, they Uh can experience it as if they're like part of that. Then when they go in and they're actually hiring their own team, it creates that duplication. It creates the culture, the process, everything translate over, but you also have that interdependency. That person will forever be thankful for the assistance of the other team in another country. Then when it's time to launch Australia or London or whatever area is next Mm -hmm. for for that time, um, you can repeat that process. Hire in and you think that person's going to be a leader, but have them do all the work, pen to paper, and have the other area support that clientele. Now there's interdependency and they're laced together. And when there's enough customers to hire up, you have your leader. And it, and it starts to build itself that way. But they'll always be thankful for the other group. So there's this, this constant thank you path.
0: Oh, that, that is a gem. <laughs> that is a kind of new way that um, it, it, it sounds so simple. But I don't think that has been used in, in many companies to do it that way. I, I don't know, but it, it, it works. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't heard it that that many times that you do it this way. So I think it's it's good, and and then it kind of helps you the way that I think the world should go. That you don't have to do everything by yourself. You don't have to know everything. But if you are with the process and somehow in every phase of it, you will get to understand what are the issues, what are the problems, what are the the challenge is what are the good things that we do and then as the leader you can develop that whole thing but if exactly. you don't know what's happening in some of the process and you have never seen it you've never done it by yourself however good you
1: evolve the whole process and grow the okay. company and it gives them the option to say that process doesn't work and that's fine so say yes. you're doing it but you're in europe and you're not in canada and it's different and you're going okay that's like now you can see where the holes are for your specific area mm-hmm. and you can fix that, which otherwise would not be, have been seen, you know, without comparing it to the baseline process. So it helps improve over time, I think. Oh, it does. It does. Wow. Well, we've been,
0: <laughs> this discussion is, is amazing. I, I love it. There has been so many, so many Amazing things like takeaways for people, from my opinion, and I, I love this. But, um, our time is coming shortly up, <laughs> so I think if we are, uh, if you have time for a couple of questions, can we do yeah, that? Let's okay. do it. Okay, great. Because there's something that I really want to you to answer to a couple of things that, um, how do you see that, uh, um, when you are having the teams, whether it's customer support or whatever the team is doing, how do you see that it really correlates with the revenue and the profitability? You set something at the beginning, but if you could come around with a little different ankle or just
1: a little deeper, yeah, how do you see that it affects? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, it's so there's a couple, couple layers. It's expensive to have employee churn. It takes Mm -hmm. time for a new hire to contribute until they're a contributor. They take time and it's not just the time to train them. It's, it's pulling from the rest of the team. If it's pulling from the rest of the team, it's pulling from the customer. So now you're not focusing new customers. You're taking time away from existing customers, taking time away from your team. That is a loss, loss, loss for any new employee. So that's, that's the first thing I would think of in terms of moving towards profitability. Mm-hmm. Employee turn is more expensive than if you just put down a number, right? Right. Because you're, you're, you're losing someone, depending on what location you're in, there's typically a severance required package If PTO mm-hmm. rolls, but all that stuff has to be, it's expensive. So that's also why you want to quickly get people out. If they're not the right fit, don't right. let that drag because it's just going to continue. The time is
0: money in, in a way.
1: <laughs> time is money. Um, when you hire in the shorter, the path to productivity, the better. So one of the things, um, and I'm starting with the, with the employees and I'll move to the customers. Yeah. The two are connected. Um, but when you hire somebody in standard in, in the e-commerce performance marketing industry, it takes someone on average when I started about a year to be able to interface with a customer. But by always having a pipeline of people on your team that are ready to step up and fill like a higher level role, or having people um, follow very specific processes so you can hire someone direct in. If you don't have someone to step up, you can shorten that window. So right. we got it down to 30 days. Someone could interface within 30 days because our process was so clean. Everything was best practiced, everything was vetted, it was constantly being improved um, based on all the scaling and international uh-huh. and diverse approaches that we took. Um, but the shorter, the window, the closer you can get to them being able to interface with a customer on the customer side. You always have to think that you're going to transition a customer. And that's, that is risky. That creates a lot of risk. Risk creates churn, <laughs> churn, yeah. impact, profitability. So, um, customers should always, that's why when we were talking about the one-to-one ratio, I never did that. So uh-huh. there was always somebody else. So if we did have to remove somebody or somebody left for whatever reason, yeah. there was always a familiar face behind the scene so it's
0: never start. just one person but you the customer also has at least two people who exactly. they are familiar with yeah
1: exactly that way while someone's getting trained up to take the burden off the team you know and fill that hole mm-hmm. the customer is getting the exact same service the other piece there for the customer though is process if you have somebody new come in you do not want to repeat yourself and go oh my gosh let me tell you about my campaigns nope on the second, mm, Tuesday,
0: yeah that's, that, that's horrible day,
1: it's, it's really, it's stressful, you know, It so isn't. our process to get this person up and running quickly or have a familiar face step in, um, also fixed any potential risk or churn issues with the customer because the experience was the same every Monday, every single Monday, every customer got a list for the rest of the week. We did it in a ticket system so that everyone on the team on our side could interface. And it was, lo- <laughs> it was stamped. You couldn't change it. So, so it's it like was transparency, total transparency, but the same consistency. So mm. that customer is like, Oh my gosh, I lost my account manager that I love for three years. Like, ah, but the next Monday they get the exact same. I mean, it's structured the same. It looks the same. It reads the same. It connects all the dots for them. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, okay. So I, it, I don't have the stress. Yeah. No stress. So the, so it's the, the process, the quick turnaround, mm-hmm. um, Being able to to bring people in um, and acknowledge that it's expensive, you know, but it needs to happen fast will help to retain your customers. If you're looking for like uh, numbers on scale and things like that, that's a whole other business model conversation where we would look at number, like what I did, I'll I'll give you the quick and dirty. I I would basically build a chart and it's my model chart. And it's how many hours it takes each individual person by role in customer success, so support, success, experience, by month, hours, down to the hours per one customer. How much of that pay us to how much those people cost? And then I would factor in, if I had everyone on my team working 100%, I know someone's going to get sick, someone needs a vacation, so I'd factor it down to 80%. Mm -hmm. So I have a 20% buffer across my team. I add up all those hours, I figure out how much each of those roles cost because they're all a little different right. On average versus what my customer pays me. And that's how I would match up. So I knew what to charge the customer. If we had to increase rates, if I could afford, um, and work things into our margin, if it was like a good brand, like Cartier, right. Wow. They bring Brands. So then yeah. I would factor in if we sell this customer at a lower rate, we might be at a break even here, but they're going to bring yeah. in other brands. So oh. that's the math behind it, but more importantly, I think it's just the process and the experience so that, because it's more expensive to bring a customer in than it is to retain them. Oh yeah. Know, for, oh yeah. So that was the, the focus on how to make it uh, profitable. Oh, cool. That, that is
0: amazing. That is amazing. And there's a lot of information, really valuable information for any company at any stage, how, how to get it, the high performing team to really get the numbers down. In order for you to grow and, and stay in business, because that that's what it really takes. You need to stay in yeah. business. Yeah, okay. the
1: only other thing that's not in there is just the renewal stuff, right? So, yeah. Uh, how if you have a customer move to risk? How do you? What? Where do you? When are you willing to lose a customer? You know. And that, that's
0: another question. <laughs> that's a big one. That's we a need, whole other session. <laughs> that, that's a whole other discussion. We we need to have that one too, because that's also how do you replace and how do you build. And and evolve as a company, so it goes there. We, we're going to have a discussion about that later. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have two quick questions for you. Okay, uh a global uh, team success and and customer satisfaction and happiness in a company. How can one do that? How can one measure that? Measure the happiness. Measure the customer satisfaction
1: and customer happiness. Ooh, gotcha. So like so, like there's a lot of ways to measure it. Um, the low hanging fruit is if your customers churn, that's the yeah. easiest. If they what come it, back, yeah, that, that's the account. easiest, yeah. Account revenue retention is the first measure. Um, there's obvious the NPS, the CSAT, CS, those mm-hmm. are all very simple, very staged out ways to get a pulse on your customers. When you're going into, if you're building a company though and you're small, you have to be very careful not to overtax your customer base because they're typically smaller. And so you have to find this balance. If you are going to use those forms of measurement, which I use, I use NPS, um, and CSAT, those are my favorites. Um, but you have to be careful because you don't want to overtax and ask for feedback too frequent. So some companies I think go, Oh, I'm going to do it every quarter. Some go every six months as you grow and mature. Now you have, you know. Four hundred million dollars portfolio, maybe you do it annually, right? Like yeah. so so it might change with the evolution of your company as, as it grows. But the challenge is if you don't do it frequently enough and you're building products, maybe you went from your MVP to your your initial product and now you're doing your b two or whatever, yeah. um, you need that feedback. So um, that's the challenge is is, and I think the mistake for startups is trying to formalize it too much, too early. So the better way, that i found to gauge customer happiness globally, if you're small, mm-hmm. is testimonials. Just ask. Do you want to be on our website? Just be
0: brave and ask.
1: Okay, yeah. that's a good one.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Super simple. Don't do all these forms because they're not necessary unless your board needs them. Yeah. Um, references. Do you want to refer someone? That would be great. Those are the most important things. But if you also have a well-trained team, they're going to look for risk. I have a risk report in our CRM that if someone missed a call, they get a mark. You a that's call. a
0: good one. And that's also very easy to do. It doesn't matter whether you are a one woman show or exactly. one man company or a very big stock exactly. company, you know, you, you still, it all comes down to these basic things. This very, very
1: <laughs> easy stuff to do. But yeah. is it, is it like that we forget to do those? Maybe. I think so. Um, I think the other thing, if you're, if you're small and starting out as having a user advisory board, so a mm-hmm. UAB, when you're building your MVP and you're about to go to go to market and you're looking at that, that viable, the minimum viable product, and you have this group of people that are an advisory board, they sometimes become your first customers. And that feedback loop will help you know how to move into a go to market with, with mm-hmm. customers that are going to be more like your ideal customer profile and, and move into the, the momentum of building. In my opinion, it's, it's more challenging when you are at scale to get a pulse on customer happiness. Yeah. It's so hard. Once you start getting into into multiple tiers, managers and and you're you have a couple hundred customers and depending on the size of them, you know, you might service some of the more high profile ones a little different and start carving things out. That's mm-hmm. when those surveys and things like that can help fill the gaps where otherwise you you, you couldn't at that scale, but to me, that's a lot more difficult because you know, you can't call everyone. How are you doing? Like, are you, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then you look for the little weird risk things. Like you can look at um, like heat maps. Are they logging in? Where are they going? Are they always going to one specific report? Like what mm-hmm. intel can you get to have your team then reach back out to them and make sure their journey is going well? You know, and you can get a little bit more strategic at scale. But to me, that's oh, wow. the, the bigger ball of, of yarn to unravel. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Oh my gosh, this is great. And
0: there's so much we could dive in and we could just talk for hours, I think. And this is very valuable for any company. And, you know, whether you are building the company from scratch or whether you have been there in the market for years, you still always need to come down to the basics and just, Mm -hmm. just go from there and don't forget those things. One last thing how we all can be better team members? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. I love that. Because <laughs> um, we we all are part of team, whether it's our family or whether it's our colleagues, whether it's our bosses or leaders team, whatever. How can we do better? I say
1: share. Um, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love um, that. If you find something that works, put it out there because um, n- that's how other people are going to learn. That's mm-hmm. how we are all going to improve. Um, I say share. I think, um, if, if you're trying to look for a different way to do something, be transparent because it could work or fail. Like it, share your failures, you know, because yeah, like, it's like, oh man, that's not working. Somebody else might be trying to implement it. Um, just talking, sharing, put it out into the universe. Um, what's What's the best way, but also get feedback like look for stuff you know to adopt and 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 try there is no one way um businesses are are lot they're like they're like people they're growing, they're always evolving and changing, and they take uh outside businesses to impact them and help them, and it takes us as people and team members to listen and and just share what we know
0: Oh, that is jim that that's really good.
1: Oh, I'm speechless
0: at this point. (laughs) I I love that and that really resonates with me. And and this whole podcast in channeling businesses forward is all about sharing experiences, sharing valuable tips and tools, and also the failures, because we always can learn and evolve from Mm -hmm. one another. So I really wanna thank you, Jill, for being part of this show and and the listeners also to to be with us here today. So, thank you. And I hope you all got some valuable tips and tools and also the courage and inspiration from these amazing insights what Jill shared with us today. I really want to thank you, Jill. You've been an amazing guest today. Uh, and <laughs> there's a lot of German value in it. So, thank you for being with us today in this episode. And I'll see you next time. Kindly of with smiles. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Bye.